Hey, this is Pastor Rima, and you are listening to Real Talk. Before you do another thing, I want you to go ahead and take this link, share it with two friends, and while you're at it, go ahead and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Pastor Rima. Real issues for real people. Praise the Lord, everybody. God bless you. This is Pastor Rima. Uh, we are on Real Talk here with a giant of the faith. Uh, I, I like to call him a general in the army of the Lord. And uh, he doesn't have to say that. And he might try to talk that down, but I'm going to talk it up. Praise God. He's a wonderful man of God and uh, been doing the work of the Lord for decades and uh, has seen a lot of things and experienced a lot of things, and I'd like to expose you to his experience, expose you to his voice. I want to welcome on this uh, podcast episode, Pastor Gerald Staten. Well, thank you, Pastor Duncan, and uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I pray, I hope somehow, you know, through this, somebody will be moved, inspired, uh, not to stand still, but to go forward and uh, the work of God, there's nothing that can stop truth. Nothing. Truth will triumph. Amen. You can write it down. You live long enough, you will see truth overcome every obstacle. It, Amen. It, it's just in it. Truth. Uh, truth. Praise yes. God. All right. So, Pastor. You want me just to begin with the... Uh, yes, sure. You can go ahead and uh, give us a brief uh, history, brief biography of where, you, where you're coming from, uh, how you got saved and, and uh, entrance into ministry. What, what, did that, what did that look like in your life? Well, you know, uh, it's hard. You know, when I started, it, you know, kind of making some notes for today, it's hard to just interject in the middle of somebody's life. Because, because when you look back over your life, you see, even when you didn't know it, God was working. Uh, even when you were, when, when I was, you know, I wasn't just lost. I, I mean, I, uh, there were just so, so many things that disqualified me from, uh, from being any kind of successful. Mm -hmm. uh, just uh, so much evil, and uh, uh, but it, through it, when you look back, you see how in in the midst of all that evil uh, and uh, my so far from God, God was working, and um, so I, I know one thing for sure: it has put in me not a confidence that. Uh, when you when you just are not aware, when when you think it's over, it, it ain't over. Right. There, there's something going on in God's plan, and and I think there's some keys. I think being positive. I, of course, I had to go back. My my mother was an apostolic lady, and uh, grew up in uh, uh, grew up in Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. Oh, wow. My yep. mother. But my father at that time, actually, my father fought the, uh, the Japanese in World War II. Oh, and, wow. 
he had uh, actually like it all kind of goes with it because my my mother was actually uh, a girlfriend of his cousin, <laughs> and then Barney and my dad Joe they went to war. The that was the Japanese had baptized. Uh, hey, I baptized. All right. Had, <laughs> Amen. Um, had bombed Pearl Harbor, and those young men, a whole generation of young men, uh, joined the service to, uh, and, and Barney was killed in the war, and so when Dad came home in '43, he had been in a coma for six months in uh, from uh, the jungle, uh, fighting the Japanese, and uh, when he came home, he had, you know issues but him and mom uh connected because it was barney's girlfriend but they connected and they end up married well dad was gone from what i understand of the story mom her my dad's mother went into a storefront apostolic church down in indianapolis in the fountain square district and received the baptism of the holy ghost wow and and she took my mom on a Saturday night to um, a church. I, I remember, just remember them telling me, I, I don't know anything much about the man, but his name was Art Hedges. And, and uh, he, they was having a prayer meeting and they took mom and that Saturday night, mom received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, and so then when dad came home, at first dad, he didn't want nothing to do with it. He, yeah. You know, like I said, he had a lot of issues, but he ended up uh, going with going and mom with mom. Actually, even my dad became a a preacher, a pastor, was building a work on the south side of Indianapolis. And then he was accused of some things that later, actually, Brother Urshan talked to me about it. They were there was never any evidence, but it really wounded my dad. Mm. My dad never went back to church. Matter of fact, my dad ended up like he had a girlfriend and he asked my mom for a divorce. This was in the fifties. Mm. And my mom said, no, you got five children. You don't get a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so they worked out a deal where dad. And, and, and so in that time, like I didn't go to church and probably when I, when I, I know when I was little, I did. Of course, my dad was pastor, and so I went. And then, uh, then when my father uh, quit going to church, and and a lot of bad things happened to the family, because that's what it does. That's the that's the enemy's work. Mm-hmm. And uh, but my mom, she wouldn't give up. Uh, nobody in her family, none of her brothers or sisters, and knowing their stories, uh, it's just a miracle. But she just uh, had this positive attitude. Like she would say to me, honey, you can become anything you want to become. Honey, mm. you can do it if you put your mind to it. You know, it was all of my, even though I was a mess and I just got, I was angry as the life progressed. And there were like, you know, Brother Urshan, Brother Rose, leaders at Calvary Tabernacle, they tried to help me. Um, mm. You know, but... I uh, I just rebelled, and and then along with it came that era of the '60s 
that I just fit right into all of that rebellion. But, wow. um, you know, as it, it didn't take long to, uh, it, it, I mean, when I look back, you know, if there's any one thing that r- does trouble me about this generation where we're at is the number of families without a father. I, I, I you know, people can, uh, Look at it like, well, we, we're resilient, we're going to make, yeah, but some things you just can't regain. I, I mean, you, you can be saved, you can be healed, but you can't recapture those moments that those children needed the father. They, yeah. So uh, at the same time, you know, then I graduated from high school in 68, and they were, that was a big time right in Vietnam. And um, I'd had some friends that uh, had been killed. Um, I really wasn't a hero. I I was just a young man trying to find, you know, I don't know, my way. But I really wasn't, you know, but I got involved in alcohol. Drugs wasn't so big then, but alcohol has always been, you know. And, yeah. uh, but, and when, when I, uh, went to, uh, and, and, you know, I, you know, I have nothing, the people at Calvary Tabernacle, they tried to help me, mm. but, um, I just, I don't, had a hardness in me, uh, a wild streak in me. And, and, yeah. you know, there were friends from the church that I, a whole group, my whole youth group at Calvary Tabernacle, I could name probably dozens of them who, um, I don't know, they never became real bad, but they never really got on fire for God. They, you know, Mm. and so when I left, I said this, this was my, like my motto in life. If I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell in style. I'm not going to sit on a church pew and go to hell. I'm not going to like pretend um, I'm going to, if I'm going, if I'm going to be guilty enough to go to hell, they're going to have evidence, you know? So. (laughs) Right into the wheels fall off. (laughs) Yeah. So the last, I went down to go on the service. I went with a couple of buddies to sign up and uh, we all ended up in different branches of the service. I, I really didn't, uh, I thought maybe if I go in the Navy, they won't send me over there. So um, I joined the Navy, and, and I had I had no ambition. I had no, none. All I wanted to do was party, stay drunk. It was really sad. Wasted a wasted life was what was happening to me. And uh, of course, when you're young, you think you're smart. And I thought I knew so much, but the truth is, I was wasting my life. And uh, what a precious thing life is. Mm-hmm. What, how valuable is every life. Yeah. And, um, but so the last two years, they sent me, um, on, they, whatever, trained me to be a bomb handler, uh, am, a munitions handler. Um, I, part of it was working with uh, some nuclear weapons, but that, you know, of course the military said we didn't have any, um, they published, you know, we don't have any, but the truth is, you know, uh, and we knew that they had 
with the head, you know. So, mm-hmm. but they assigned me to uh, the USS Oriskany, and uh, we went off the coast of Nam for two tours, nine nine months a time, two years uh, total. And my last, uh, all of this, you, you know, it's hard. I looked at it. Uh, it was a, I don't know. It was like a hiding, hiding place, hiding from the conviction. My yeah. mother kept praying. My mother kept praying. She had such faith. Um, she came to see me one time when I was living in San Francisco and partying and, and friends that were ungodly. And but she came to see me and um, she looked around my apartment and, um, you, you know, it was like, she just said, Oh honey, uh, Jesus is, he's got a work for you to do. And hmm. I was so far from God. I had no desire at that point for God. I remember yeah. standing in the San Francisco airport with my mother and she, I'm lost. I mean, I am a mess, but she put her arms around me and she said, Oh, I'm so happy. Jesus is going to do something great in your life. Mm. And I honestly, I laughed. I thought, mom, you are so blind. You can't even see <laughs> how evil I am. But you know, that was like, that probably would have been in May of 72. And in March of 72, I met this little girl, a Baptist girl. And she was a good girl, a good Christian. Well, most of the people I didn't hang around, that I hung around with, they weren't good. Yeah. You know, they cheat on each other and party and do do dope and you know like uh it was a big deal back then was acid everybody taking a trip oh my goodness and so i was one at this one friend's house just before i met linda i was at my friend's house and we'd gotten high and i'm sitting there on the couch and all of a sudden there was a picture on the wall and it started running around the room (laughs) psychedelic <laughs> it scared me so bad that I I thought you know I can't do this anymore. What? Because we we had guys who went on a trip who never came back. They wow. literally they 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 burned their brains. They got them burned out, but they was burned up. Just mm. right, so when that happened, it it frightened me. And um, and then I met this girl, and she was a good girl. Uh, and matter of fact, I thought, man, this poor girl, she has no idea how bad I am. <laughs> and, uh, but when I went, what happened was it was a friend of mine's mother had kind of set up this, I was home in Phoenix. I went to visit him and he, his mother set up for me to date this girl. So I called her up to tell her I'd been out partying the night before I was barely conscious. And I called <laughs> her up to say, I'm not going to come. And I heard her voice. And I said, you know, I better go check this girl out. So uh, when I went to pick her up, I said, well, what, what would you like to do? She said, well, I, I thought we'd go to a Bible study. Mm. And I was like, Bible study? How about I, that? I don't want no Bible study. <laughs> My mind was not on God. <laughs> it wasn't on the Bible. No, no. But I said, I'll go with you. Well, you know, 
you know, listen, there were things that looking back on it, you know, like my mother would say to me, honey, you're going to see a great revival in this world. You're going to see a lot of people get saved. And I would like laugh at her like, mom, I don't even want to be around this. Why are you telling me this? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when I went with this girl to this Bible study, it was down this old building, a church, big old church building in Phoenix. And we went around the back of that building and like, it was really kind of a uh, crazy cause up on one side, there was these people sitting up there smoking pot. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Bible study. I didn't know that they was do it. Right. But she said, no, no, not up there. Come down here. And we went down these stairs into this building. I never seen anything like it. It's it was filled with young people and they all had Bibles open and they were all praying. And of course, you got to understand, I come from another generation and all these guys were sitting there like hippies, man, beards and, you know, and psychedelic clothes. And, uh -huh. but, but they were like, all of a sudden, I thought, man, mom said something like this was going to happen, I think. But these people, they started praying and they were speaking with tongues. And I was like, oh, we got to get out of here. Mm. So she, and she was like, um, Actually, what happened was she, this Baptist girl, had met a, a Baptist pastor's son, and they both began to read the book of Acts. And she went to a service and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but didn't even know what she had. And uh, I mean, I mean, she tells how it scared her in that service. It scared her so bad she got up. She wanted to get out of there, but when she got to the aisle. It was packed with people. So she turned, she had to run. So she ran to the front of the place. She said, I never seen anybody do that, but I just mm. threw myself down at the altar. And that preacher came over and said, young lady, what do you want? She said, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing here. He said, mm. I think you, he said, I think you need the Holy spirit. And so these ladies took her to a side room and showed her, Acts chapter two in her Bible and laid hands on her and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That, that was the same month I met her like two weeks later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that time, it doesn't probably in the scheme of all of life and everything, it doesn't seem that important. But looking back on it, because mm -hmm. she, what happened was, I had to leave. I went back overseas and she would write me letters and she would say, read this verse. Well, I thought she was trying to tell me she loved me. So I would get this Bible. My sister had given me a Bible. I never opened it up. It was still in the box. But yeah. when she said, read this verse, I got that Bible out. I had to look, find it. Oh, there it is. And I'm going to tell you something. They people say all they want. Drugs mess you up. Yeah. Like, you know, and so my reading was much slower, my understanding. And like, so like now I know, like, like she said, read Romans 3.23. And I thought, oh, she's trying to give me some coded message. So I found it, I read it, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't see any love in that. What is she trying to tell me? I don't understand. So I close the Bible, put it away. Few days later, another mail call, another letter. 
another verse. I open it up. I, I don't know what she's doing. I can't get this. Mm. And, and so probably that would have been in June through July. Well, yeah, and these letters and re- reading these scriptures. And, and then another thing happened. Uh, I had met, uh, I had known a guy, you might know him, Arlie Enos. He was a missionary to the military. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, he knew knew my family from Calvary Tabernacle. And he got my address and sent me cassette tapes from Calvary Tabernacle. Wow. Well, well, the thing was, like, this is going to sound really crazy, but I put in this tape. I didn't want nobody to know I was listening to gospel stuff. I put on uh, <laughs> earphones, and I'm listening to it late at night. I'm, after I come in, I'm drunk, but I said, well, I'm going to listen to this. And, and they played the whole service. Well, Calvary Tabernacle had a tradition that they read every prayer request card, every name. They read it out loud, every service. Wow. And that night, I'm listening, and they read all the names, but they didn't read my name. Mm. And, and it's, I, I thought, look. I understand now I'm hopeless because they have given up on me. And, uh, and I wept, but within a month time, what happened? We were out at sea. We're unloading onto our ship. We're unloading ammunition. And, and our, our ship had a collision with that ammunition ship. And Mm -hmm. it was, Total confusion, general quarters, everybody running the battle stations. They, they're not sure we're going to blow up. They don't know what's going on. And these, uh, in the midst of it is this, you know, fear. And I'm like, yeah. this is it, you know, like, mm-hmm. right. But fortunately, you know, obviously it didn't happen the next morning. But what did happen is that big ship, the propeller, one of the propellers, they're the size of a house, right? Mm. One of those propellers fell off of that boat. And so we could not continue our operations off of Vietnam. And so they had to bring help to us. And they took us into Japan, to Yokosuka, Japan, for dry dock, where they had to repair that ship. And they offloaded the ammunition into um, a storage units and we are we were given the assignment you know to to watch over it Uh, guard uh, security duty right we would work a week at a time and a week off and then when we'd be off that was we was there a month and i would go stay in a bar for a week at a time just drinking drinking and that's where i was when jesus walked in wow And he walked over to me, and I've had people, look, I can't explain all that, but I'm telling you, he walked over to me. My friends, we're all drinking. He tapped me on the shoulder. I look up. I just know, I knew. I knew it was Jesus. And he said, it's your time. And it's, it, it's frightened me. I set my beer down. My friend said, where are you going? I said, I got to go pray. And How about it? I ran back to the base. I locked myself in the 
storage area with those bombs. And I got on my knees and I began to pray. And I prayed probably, you know, the truth is probably from hearing mom all those years, certainly the influence of church and, you know, but, but I poured my heart out to God in the middle of that night. He filled me with his spirit and Mm. I'm telling Mm. you, he changed my life. He took away the desire for drugs, the desire for alcohol. Mm-hmm. The next day, I'm walking across the base. I uh, I realized, man, I ain't cussed all day, which that that's like huge. You know, I mean, like <laughs> I know. Yeah, and in that lifestyle, you know. Oh my! Well, that's that's <laughs> part of the alphabet. So. I like in that experience, that very first day, I'm walking across the base and I see this sign and it says base chapel prayer meeting, like, I don't know, six o'clock or something. And man, I thought, oh, look what God has done, man. He's got a prayer meeting just for me. So mm-hmm. I got there early and <laughs> nobody was there. The doors were open, but I went in. And the thing is, I I don't know that everyone could understand this, but when I got on my knees to pray, that spirit that 12 hours before had changed my life came back on me. You know, back then, a Holy Ghost spell, whatever you want to call it, I was mm-hmm. gone in the spirit. And for an hour and a half, I was lost in the spirit, just praying in tongues. Mm. And when I came to... I looked up and the room was filled with men. How they about were, it? They were all just looking at me. And finally, one of them said, uh, uh, you was talking in tongues. Well, mm. I, did, I thought everybody did. I thought if you got saved, that's what happened. I didn't know that mm-hmm. there were different ways to get saved or, you know. <laughs> so I said, they said, I said, yeah, I guess I probably was. They said, uh, well, can you do what it says in the Bible? Well, you know, I figured now I got like this power of God in me. Yeah, I could do it. Then I had to say, well, what's it say? And, <laughs> I could do it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can do yeah. it. <laughs> they said, so they took me over to where Paul laid hands on, you know, now I know Acts 19. And they said, can you do that? I said, well, I, let me ask Jesus. That was, there are key things like, I learned to hear his voice. Yes. He could talk to me. And I'm going to tell you something. That is the key to everything we do. Being able to hear his voice. He, so I said, hey, Jesus, these guys, because I didn't know how to pray any like, you know, fancy prayers. I just said, hey, Jesus, no. these guys say they want this stuff. What can we do? And he said, you tell all of them that want this to come up here. So I said, hey, Jesus said, you want this to come up here. And 12 of those men came up to that up to the area. And they said, well, what do we do? I said, I have to ask Jesus. What? He said, just tell them, you know, they got to repent of their sins, confess their sins. Back then, I didn't know that you could just say, uh, forgive me of all my sins. So I said, you got to confess all your sins. There was no feeling. There was no band playing. There was no, no altar call music, no altar workers. It was me and Jesus and these bunch of heathens. And oh. I just, 
So I just said, you got to confess your sins. So they're standing there like no feeling, just, okay, Jesus, forgive me for committing adultery. Jesus, mm -hmm. forgive me for killing that guy. Gee, right? No mm -hmm. feeling. Yep. But right in the middle of it, um, well, at that point, they, the last one, you know, finally stopped. And I said, okay, now, Jesus, what do we do? He said, you tell them, kind of raise their hands a little bit and to thank me for forgiving them of their sins. Mm -hmm. And he said, when they do that, you walk in front of them. And when I touch you, you're going to touch them. And Ooh. when you touch them, they're going to receive the spirit. So I said, and so it started off again, like no feeling, you know, just thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me for, you know, and all these sins, right? And I'm mm -hmm. walking in front of them. And all of a sudden, it's like getting tasered. And I yeah. reached out and touched that first guy. Boom. He received the Holy Ghost just speaking with tongues. All 12 of those men received the baptism of the Spirit that night. Hallelujah. And I didn't even, you know, I didn't know. I, I thought, wow, this is awesome. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I'm just going to go change the whole world. I'm going to go lay hands uh. on everybody I can. <laughs> so, you know, my, that was kind of my, but out of that, you know, there was a, a I, I know when I say this, I know others can say it and I'm thankful, but I know, I know what God can do. I know mm. he can change a life. He can take the vilest of sinners. Yes, sir. One, one experience with God mm. and turn that life around. And you know what? If we don't believe that, you know what I mean? If we have to have confidence that, look, I don't know what they all will become. I, right. I you know, I don't, all I know is this one touch of Jesus, he can change your whole life. Mm. And, um, and that was my, my conversion story. You know, I mean, out of it, that next six months, yeah. I just spent time praying, fasting. I had guys that I used to party with who got angry at me. I, I didn't understand it, but they didn't like my changes. They threatened right. to kill me. They talked about throwing me over the side. They had all kind of, right? But I had such an experience with Jesus that I just prayed for those men. And I believed what his word said. Like one time yeah. I was reading this verse and it said, his word will not return void. Yeah. So I said, okay, all right then. So I wrote Linda and I said, take all the money we have saved and go buy Bible, send me Bibles. And she sent me cases of Bibles. Mm. I would, I pretty soon, I had people coming to me. I'm not, I'm talking hundreds of people. Men, men, men that were messed up, but they would come weeping. You think I could have one of those Bibles? How about it? So, and you know, it's like, um, you know, in that time, I had such, and, and again, I can't tell you enough how that key thing, being able to hear God's voice. And I, I don't mean just, I mean, on a personal level, he can tell you who to talk to. He can tell you where to go and how to get yes. there. He can, he, listen, he can take you places that you could not go on your own. Right. 
Yeah. Spirit led, walking in the spirit. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the last bit of that was like, I came home in December from Vietnam, you know, and landed at San Francisco and the whole world had lost its mind. Everybody was screaming at us. We were in our uniform, you know, they're screaming at us, calling us baby killers, spitting on us. And it was crazy. Mm. But, you know, I had, I had such an experience with God. It was like, nah, I don't care, man. Um, I, me, and, me and Jesus, we just got this thing going on that it didn't matter to me. So I'm walking down the hallway in San Francisco airport. Like, I've got to go get my discharge papers, right? I'm walking down the hallway, and I see these three men. Mm. And the Holy Ghost said to me, go talk to those men. They're going to tell you what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Wow. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure they thought I was l- lost it. You know, I'm sure they thought I was crazy. So I walked up to these guys. I praise God, brothers. And they turned around and looked at me and they said, uh, you know, they're all uh, suits, you know. And I said, uh, hey, you know, God just talked to me. He told me, you're going to tell me what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And so one of them said to me, said, all right. said, well, we're teachers at a Bible college in Stockton, <laughs> in Stockton California. Here's our card. We got, we're getting ready for the new semester. You be there. And I'm sure they walked away from there thinking they're never going to see me again. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> that part of my pocket, that weekend I went to see Linda. We talked about, listen, when I come home, I didn't have a church. I didn't have a pastor. I didn't, but on that, when I was on that ship, I prayed about our marriage, our work, what we were going to do, how many souls. We had to spend our life reaching a lost world. That was, that was our assignment. Yeah. And she said, uh, now you got to understand, like now, I mean, she's coming from like a life where um, the lifestyle is different, but God gave me a message. So when I got home, when I flew home and flew like let same weekend, I sat down and I said, now we got to talk because this is how we're going to live. And I yeah. talked about separation, separation issues, being separated under God. And this is how we got to live. And she said, what, whatever, I'm going to follow you. I prayed for God to give me a man who would lead me in spiritual things. So wherever, mm-hmm. you, go, wherever you go, I will follow you. Yes, sir. So that's awesome. When we got now, we got married on the 29th of December, three days later, we got everything we owned, which wasn't much. I now I got discharged like on the 16th of December. I got real sick, probably from some bug, you know, but um, who knows, maybe a virus. But at any rate, when uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I said, uh, uh, so we took our money and we drove to Stockton. And when I think back on how that little girl who really didn't know me, how she trusted God and that God was leading us. And when we, when we went, when we got to Stockton, for example, we had no place to live. Mm. I, you know, I, we had a little bit of money, 
and um, and our car and wedding gifts. That's about all we had. I didn't have barely, you know, I had all my uniforms now so gone. So I had to had to even buy clothes, and she had to buy clothes because we're changing our whole life. Yeah, and so so we went to like Goodwill or Salvation Army, you know, and bought clothes so we and and I was going to go to school and so when the first night we arrived in town in it was like January 3rd or something it was cold and raining I, I took us to this little one of those hotels you never stay in but it's all the money we had so we and then I said now I told Jesus I said Jesus you have talked to me all the way this far I need mm. you to tell me again what we're going to, and he told me, he said, you go out there, you know, back then it was cell phones or text message or nothing like that. So I went out to a pay phone and I said, okay, Jesus, tell me who to call. And I opened up this phone book and it was like the, uh, a name and the, the like highlighted. It. And so I called that number. I never met this guy before in my life. I called this guy and I said, I told him, I said, uh, uh my name's uh, Jerry Staten and, uh, my wife and I got married about four days ago. We come here to go to Bible school. I just got back from Vietnam and uh, we don't have a lot of money, but I need a place to live. And I was praying and God told me to call you. And he said, you come out here. I got a place for you. So wow. we drove out there that night. I mean, it's like 10 o'clock at night and we drove out there <laughs> and this guy meets us. He said, you just came back. I said, yeah. He said, you can live there. It was a furnished, clean little place, furnished. He said, you can live there free. Wow. Yeah. That's what I mean. God, God takes care of us. So mm. we, we lived there and went to, so when, when I, our first service, I'll never forget you asked about moments. First service we went to in Stockton, you just, probably people thought we was, you know, I don't even have any idea. If I was a pastor and saw this couple come in, of course, for me, I would be excited. And Pastor Haney was, but i never forget. It was a Wednesday night, my first time in church with my little wife, and my first time in church coming back from Vietnam. I'm going to have a pastor. I'm going to have a church. That was incredible. And, uh, I remember I had one suit and I had had it made to party with when I was uh, in overseas. I had, it was a, my clubbing suit, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> a, it was dark skin wool, <laughs> a blue suit with a uh, hip hugger slacks that were skin tight down to the knees and then flared out to 18 inch bells. And a blue silk shirt with ruffles. And, Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Linda, she just had, you know, she had two dresses. And, uh, and we went to church at night. I'm sure that, but we were so, I can't even tell that, that memory forever etched in my mind of how we were able to go to church. We walked in, we sat down over on the left side there, over uh, in the church on Cherokee Road, you know, and 
and this lady and a couple of kids was sitting in front of us and all of a sudden some, some guy comes in the door and grabs that lady by the hair of her head and drags her out of the church. Wow. And I looked at my wife, I said, oh, look at this. We're in the right place. They got the <laughs> death all stirred up. <laughs> this is a real church. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, and so, uh, I don't know, I've, I've kind of gone on there. That, but that's how, to, to yes, talk sir. salvation is not just an event. Mm. Salvation is not an event that happens in your life. Salvation is a changed life. It's like, yes. I mean, this is Bible, but it's going from darkness. He delivered me from the power of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. He did that yes, in sir. one night. He did it in one night. And so mm. when it was a couple of weeks um, on a Wednesday night, Bishop Haney, uh, of course, he was pastor then. And that church, the church at that time ran about 250 people. Mm -hmm. And this night he come, comes to me and said, would you and your wife uh, want to meet with me, uh, with a group of us after church for a few minutes in the back in what I think was his office? And I said, yeah, sure. So we went there and we went in. And he tells us, he said, God talked to me and he gave me three uh, I guess three visions or three things in this vision that we have to do. He said, yeah. number one, we've got to do branch ministries, which today we would call those butterworks. And, mm. we, have to, and we have to do, uh, uh, he called them sheepfold ministry. Today they're called small groups. Mm -hmm. and, and then he said, now the first one we're going to start with is bus ministry because if we can get their kids we can get the families how about it so i he said now if you're willing to do this tonight you i'm putting you on my team as bus pastors you've got to understand when i my wife and i walked in there and got in our car we just started weeping because mm. six months before i'd been doing drugs and yeah. now, now I'm a pastor. <laughs> now you're a plus pastor. Come on. <laughs> so, but, and they gave me an area known as JLJ, it was the projects. And mm. of course, I had just come out of those people. So I'm sure Brother Haney said, yeah, we just put this guy over there because he, he knows how to talk to those people, right? Yeah. And we went over there. My, they had a guy come named Steve Muncie. You ever heard of Steve Muncie? Huh? Oh, yeah. He's right well, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, back then, he was with us. Mm. And he did a program called Happy Wheels of Joy, where Brother mm. Haney went out and bought 15 buses. They were junkers. But he said, uh, I want you to take this bus. I'll give you a bus driver and a bus, and you go fill it up. Well, he believed in me so I could do it. So we went yeah. to those apartments and I would go in the houses with those people smoking pot. You know, they'd offer me a beer. I'd only have one. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> By all means, save some. That's it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> I would talk to those parents about letting, letting us pick up their kids. They said, well, you know what? If you want to come in and get them ready. So I would go early on Sunday morning and go into those. They leave door unlocked. And I'd go in. The parents would be passed out. I'd get those kids up and get them dressed, get them outside. My wife would be on the bus helping the kids get on the bus. And we, it, in just a little bit of time, we filled that bus up. So they gave me another bus and we filled that bus up. And in two years, we watched that church grow from 250 to 800. Woo! Yeah, yes. And I'd go like every Saturday morning was my favorite time. It was outreach time. And I'd go I'd get there early and Pastor Haney would be walking up and down the uh, side wall there. with uh, He'd have a notepad. He'd pray and then he'd stop and write something down and pray. And I would just crawl in between those pews and listen to him pray. Oh. I say, oh God, I want to learn. I, I never thought of it like becoming... You know, I didn't see years down the road. Yeah. I saw, you know, I saw days and weeks and people as yeah. individuals. And I watched, we watched, we watched amazing things happen. But generally it was, you know, one soul here and one soul there and picking up this one. And, you know, just, it, it was, uh, and, and so that was like really the beginning of, I, you know, I thought about something. I wrote something down that, that I wanted to say. I found that in our experience of building churches, of starting churches, I'll put it that way, um, you've got to keep three things in balance. You mm. know, an out-of-balance church can get, it can become too strict. Well, I know there's probably somebody listening to this that would misinterpret what I say, but I'm just telling you. Number one, you've got to be evangelistic. In this world right now, I've got people that I'm doing, uh, like today, at, at lunchtime, I'm showing a video of uh, Brother Monty Showalter teaching on introduction to evangelism. <clears throat> yes. I had Alan Demos come and uh, by, you know, whatever, live internet, and do three sessions on evangelizing, evangelizing. Because you, you have to keep the people focused. It's not where we are now. It's where we're going to be when this opens up. Are we going to be ready for the harvest? The hearts yes. are going to be hungry. The hearts okay. are going to be so hungry. So you've got to keep, number one, evangelism. And then once you evangelize them, you've got to disciple them. Yes, sir. And then... and. After discipleship is, uh, hold on, I, 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 there's the third thing. I, I, I felt like this was really important to say pe to people that are starting churches is, um, uh, hold on. You're all right. Take your time, sir. Is leadership. Yes, sir. <laughs> you got to develop. So every week I do a, a, a Zoom leadership. I have like 25 to 30 people get on Monday nights. And we're learning leadership because when we get through this, we're going to lead. We got to lead. We got to go forward. Yeah. We're not, there's going to be an incredible harvest, but yeah. you got, you, we don't have any room for looking back. 
We don't have any room for thinking about how we're going to give up or quit or turn around. We don't have room for that. So the three areas that we have found and some of these, look, it took me a lifetime. We've now been at this 48 years, but listen, it's been like, you know, I could tell you that I think some churches, when I say this, I'm not going to mention any names, but look, no, right. <laughs> some churches, if they had only realized that, well, it's great that you're evangelizing, but now you've got to disciple these people. And, and if, and then if, as you disciple you, it's like a flow. You, 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 you leadership is when I see what that person can become through God in their life. That's mm -hmm. leadership. It's like, okay, yes, I'm going to do my best to help you to become everything God has intended yeah. you to become. And, and so we teach leadership, leadership. So those three things, if they're in balance in a church, that yeah. church, that church will grow. Mm -mm -mm. You know, if, yeah. So I, I think, uh, you, you mentioned what were my best moments. Yes, sir. We're good with that. All right. I mean, yes, I sir. Go ahead. any other questions? Yes, sir. All right. So unforgettable moments, my, you know, we started works in California, in Sedona, Arizona, in, wow. Lexington, in Lexington Park, Maryland, and in Washington, D.C. now, three works, you know. And the truth is, those, I can't even explain to people. It's like, it's like walking into a fresh area. It's mm. like, you know, it's like feeling, yeah, the rush of, mm -hmm. ah, this is, just let me at them. You yeah. know, it's like. Excitement, uh, anticipation. Yes, yes. And so mm -hmm. maybe some of my most unforgettable moments were like, I could almost take you back to when I drove into that area. Like, yeah. and I remember like the one in Stockton, Brother Haney had a start. It was a little community. We knocked every door in that community. We had 17 get the Holy Ghost in just a short period of time. It was, yes, I'll never forget that. It was our beginning. I didn't have a clue what I was doing except just learning to listen God's voice and obey and tell others, you know, the story of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's really, it's really that simple. But, you know, looking back on it, I could have done better. I, I could have. Yeah. Right. Then, then in Sedona, when we went to Sedona, <laughs> I, there had been two churches that offered for me to come, my wife and I to come and, you know, assist and work with them. And so we tried it. And I got fired. And uh, <laughs> that's true. And then another one, and uh, because I was too aggressive, mm. you know, um, if you got it in you, you got it in you. And mm -hmm. it's very difficult. It's hard to suppress it. Oh, my. And so then when we, so when we went to Sedona, uh, my, we had incredible things happening, results, winning souls. But I'm telling you, sometimes you think, and this is a key point for all these people wanting to bring a team in to help them. Some of the people you bring in, they wasn't, hello, 
I'm just telling you. I thought they was, I thought they was gonna be helped. Real talk. Yeah, they wouldn't help. And Real talk. It wasn't that they were bad people. They were good people. But sometimes, mm -hmm. like, I think I talked them out of where they were when I should have left them there. Mm. And, um, but I thought it would help. But yeah. over the years, I've just learned that, you know, it's better off sometimes to let just, you know, let people learn where they are. Because... <laughs> You know, let, the, let the chips lie. <laughs> they, they can bring the momentum that got you to a screeching halt. Mm. And that's, I mean, I know you're a church planner, so you know it. Man, you get a little bit of momentum. That's why this thing here bothers me so much is because we had momentum. So I've had to work harder with this stuff, and we've done some things to try and keep the momentum going. Yeah. Well, you know, everywhere I've been, I've realized, you know, it takes, unfortunately, it takes time to really learn that there are key components to momentum. It doesn't just, you know, it doesn't happen just because you're a good guy. There's things mm -hmm. you have to do. I mean, some of it's basic, you know, pray and fast and worship and those things. I think we all then they're part of our spiritual life. But when mm -hmm. you start talking about reaching lost souls and it gaining momentum, you know, it's one. Like, you know, I, I tell the story about the Spanish guy we want here, Juan, who I met him on a street. And Juan, mm -hmm. I didn't know what Juan was. I found out he was the padrino for the Mexican mafia. But when, he, wow. when he came in, his story, his... uh. I met him on the street. He said, uh, uh, you the preacher. And I said, uh, yeah, he said, cause I mean, you, that's the other things you gotta be, you cannot isolate yourself. You, you gotta yes. be out there with the people. It doesn't necessarily mean immerse me. yourself. Mm. Yes. And so we're out there on the street. Um, I, there's a lot of things that I don't know, uh, but we set up, musical instruments i didn't play any music but i figure i'd get somebody walking by make some noise or something it'll draw a crowd <laughs> and, and um just so this guy says can i guess i'm telling you about one key person but everywhere i've been when there was going to be growth there is a key person. When he says in Revelation about, I set before you an open door, I have my own version on that. I believe God will give you a door, an open door. That's a person. That's a person. That's and that a person, person, when, they a person. Get, when they get saved, they're going to go get tell grandma and uncles and aunts. And not everybody's denying that you're going to see them bring. Oh my, they're going to bring cousins, aunts, uncles, the part, people they used to party with in, uh, mm -hmm. because they're an open door that I'm telling you, I've seen way too many people miss the open door. You know what? Well, we got to do this. Stop doing that. Go through the door. <laughs> Where is yes, God doing it? it? What's open uh, right now? So this guy, uh, he, he's there. He said, can I get a picture with you? I think it's kind of humorous, but I say, yeah, sure. So he has these two guys with him. 
And I figure they're just friends. Yeah. Just friends. They get this picture. They go on down the street. The next morning, I get there early in that place. You know, we meet where we kill rats so the people could come in church. And I'm there <laughs> and this guy comes in with his friends. And he, he said, a preacher, can I talk to you? I said, well, sure. He said, Friday night, my sister called me from Mexico. She said, Juan, you got to go give your life to Jesus Christ. He is coming soon. He said, so when I saw you yesterday, I said, oh, I'll get a picture with the preacher. I sent it to my sister. She'll leave me alone. He said, <laughs> but he said, last night, the drug, the drug cartel murdered my sister. Oh, my word. So he said, I am here. I want to keep my promise to my sister. And he fell on his knees just repenting and praying. And ultimately, we end up, of course, baptizing him. He got the Holy Ghost. Uh, and he began to bring people. In one year, he brought over 50 people. <sighs> no, I don't mean just two. That's an open door right there. That's an open door. There's a Spanish church there now as a result of, <laughs> of uh, there's a, there's a Spanish church there now as a result of, like that man would call me up at two o'clock in the, Pastor, you got to come and go with me. We're going to go teach Bible study. He would take me, he would take me to places where there were heroin addicts, prostitutes, he would tell them, sit down, pastor going to teach you Bible study. He would bring people, tell them, you got to get baptized. I would say, Juan, Juan, wait, wait, just let's teach him a little bit first. But we, in that, and he really caused the work in D.C. to explode, you know. It was like, but it was an open door, one person. Yes, and sometimes... I just think we have, I look back, I can tell you in Lexington Park, oh my, one time we had grown, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell you, like, uh, you know, but we had grown a little bit and then some, about 40 people on one Sunday morning, under a bad influence, decided to mm. leave us and they left and about, we only had about 75, so it was big, half the church leaving and Yet, I prayed, and God said, "No, I got it. I got it. I got it." And there was yeah. this little lady, a uh, little lady, uh, Mother Brown, who she came to us from uh, a, an apostolic work out of D.C. Mm -hmm. And she, all right, and she actually, she said, "Pastor, there's somewhere here. There's God's got somebody for you to to start with." So. I'm this one lady, uh, Mother Bush, who just passed away last year. In that next two weeks, she brought over 40 people to Jesus. And those wow. people became a solid structure at work in Lexington Park. Just so I, I, it's not, I'm not guessing at this. If you even take the book of Acts and you take what I just told you, you will find in every case there was a Philippian jailer. There was, yes, uh, right? There was, a, what was it, a Cornelius uh, and his household, right? Uh, yes, sir. So 
key people. And then sometimes, yes, and sometimes you will meet someone who has the potential to be a key person, but their decision will decide whether or not they are the key person. Like King Agrippa, mm-hmm. all that persuades me, but he, what an influence he could have been, right? Have been. Yeah. So, yes, sir. Anyway, so I think, uh, I thought I just jotted down a couple of things about, uh, actually I got about two pages, but uh, unforgettable right. moments. Unforgettable moments. That, that probably the time working with Juan in that one year was uh, I, I'm probably more impactful on me than maybe many other experiences in my life. I've, you know, God's been kind to me. If I measure it by, say, preaching engagements, I've spoken at general. General, I'll be honest with you. If you just let me go back there with one. Hallelujah. Or those poor girls whose lives have been sold into human trafficking. And if you'll just, those moments were uh, and and I don't mean church and all they have done to help us and but but I'm telling you as far as moments I will never forget oh my watching Juan I will never forget the night he got the revelation who, of who Jesus is we were in a Saturday night service and there might have been about forty or fifty of us there and I was preaching on the mighty God in Christ and all of a sudden Juan who's sitting back about six rows, fall out, falls out of his chair, and he's on his hands and knees crawling down the aisle, tears just dripping off his face, and he's crying out, Oh, Jesus, I didn't know you were God. Mm. Oh, my. I was a powerful, not just for him, but watching how it, it impacted the church. Now, today, yeah. Juan... Juan is reunited with his wife in Mexico City. Mm. Uh, I sent him to uh, Brother um, Windross. But you know those two guys that came with him that day? They both became mm. preachers here in D.C. How about it? <laughs> you, you just see, but you just, you don't know when you see. Now, they're not, they're probably never going to, well, I'm going to say this. Who knows? God can do anything. But they're probably not going to preach a general conference. But reaching, reaching the lost, and when they yes. talk about Jesus, oh my word! And now they're they're married, and they got children, and they're preaching the gospel. Oh, what an amazing story! Out of one, one, one man, one man, just amazing. Uh, let's see. Yes, sir, that's yeah. an incredible story. Incredible testimony. Well, you ask, if I could redo my 20s, what would I do? Yeah. Number one, I would meet more people. I would mm. meet more people. I I would, everywhere, I'd go places just to meet people. I'd meet people. Mm. Um, in the church and out of the church. Just meet yes, people. Yes, sir. You never know when that person you meet is going to be the influence that you need. You know, where God, yeah, mm-hmm. so meet people. 
And the second thing I would do, I think I would stay longer at a place when I started a church. Like, you oh. know, when I, I started that one in California, I didn't stay long. And mm-hmm. really, I went, I was asked last year, this was a high highlight. Brother Haney had me come and preach at the college for three days last, uh, you know, I hadn't been back there since I left all those years ago. And, you know, they gave me some kind of a nice award. And then they asked me to preach to those college kids. That was a real, you know, for me, um, just when I got through after three days, I promise you I hadn't left. I gave them everything. <laughs> you know, I said, you got to win the world. You got to mm-hmm. win the world. This thing is not a show. Yes, this sir. is not a performance. People are lost. So um, I would stay longer. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I would ask God. Because I see some when I, I see some pastors, I hear them say dumb things. Like mm-hmm. I heard a man say, I hate people. You know? Well, I think he ought to quit pastoring. I think you you ought to pray for more love. Mm. Help, me, help me love people. Yes. Help me love people. Love people. You it, it even like we have all had somebody. I look, I I've had instances when we started that church in Sedona, I fought with devils. I couldn't even figure it out why they hated me so much. But th- there was <laughs> there was guys who tried to kill me. They, they came one time, this guy come with a knife. He picked me up off the floor. He told the whole, we had a group of about 35 people. He said, I'm going to kill a preacher tonight. And uh, I said, uh, he was just high on heroin. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you don't have to have a reason. They're just, they're just, their minds are messed up. But yeah. I said, Jesus, again, I just said, Jesus, you got to tell me what to do here. And he said, tell that guy he can't do nothing I don't let him do. So I looked mm. that guy right in the eye, pointed my finger in his nose and said, because he's holding me up off the ground. And I said, Jesus said to tell you, you can't do anything he don't let you do. That guy dropped me, ran out the door crying. Yeah, God, you know, Lord. but, but <laughs> you, you have to love you have to love people. Yeah, and, real talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, do they all, some of them will hate you. They, mm. they really don't hate you, but they they just they have hatred in their heart or they've been wounded or they're bitter or they're like, and you got to love them through that. I tell this story years ago. I read this in a National Geographic's. Some years ago, in the middle of a summer's day, not a wind, not a breeze in California where, or where those big redwood trees are, mm-hmm. big tree, right? And one of those trees fell over. And they sent out uh, whatever they're called, scientists, to dissect that tree and find out what in the world. There was no lightning. There was no storm. There was no crisis. That tree just fell over. And when they opened that tree up, they determined that 100 years before, that tree had been struck by lightning, and inside was a wound that never healed. Ooh. Yeah, see? So here we are. We got these people coming in. And I know, I know 
they're hard to work with and they're, but you just don't know what wound is inside. Yeah. You don't know what happened to them a hundred years ago. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So I have found that one of the greatest needs is to love more. Love, don't know. Like, have there ever been times yet? Yeah, I look back at some of the dumb stuff I said when I was a pastor at, at other places. I repent. Oh, God, forgive me for ever being hateful like that. But you, you have to be filled with love. Love. Love yeah. will cover a multitude of sins. Um, I would do this because probably the greatest highlight of my life is my children. They're all, they're all pastoring somewhere, you know, all four of them. And each of them are different. Uh, they, but they've excelled at winning souls. My, my girls have been incredible soul winners. My, my son, you know, my youngest son, he was a missionary to the Republic of Georgia when there was no work there. I remember this is a highlight of my memory. Okay. My wife and I went with them to the airport. They had two little girls. They don't speak Georgian. They don't speak Russian, but they're going to a country where they don't speak the language, but they're going because God told them to go. And we're at the airport and we're watching them walk down that aisle. Two little girls and their dad and mom. We don't even know when, because we don't know when we're going to hear from them. We, you know, we'll do everything we can to help them, but we don't know what it's going to look like. And we watched them walk down that aisle. And my wife and I got in our cars because we had to take two cars to get them and their stuff there. And both of us all the way home, we just wept. We didn't weep for our sorrow. We wept that our kids would accept the responsibility of taking the gospel to a place when they finally heard from them, they were living in a house with a dirt floor in an outhouse. Nobody, they didn't know the language and nobody knew them. Yet today, there is a revival church in that nation. You You know, those are for us. If I say to my wife, you remember when we took Jordan Kim to the airport? We know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a moment that we'll never forget. Watching our kids surrender their lives completely to the yeah. call of God. You just and then, of course, Jason, my you know, uh, preaching at youth congress and yes, my, sir. You know, and, and see, I watch him, even his church, building that building, taking that work and building on it. Some people can't do that. Some people take a work and tear it down. Mm-hmm. But my, what he has done, he, you know, my works are rough. It takes somebody with some, like God has given me a team here. That's another thing I wanted to say. You got to learn how to build teams and not be jealous. Abraham Lincoln said, the mark of a truly great man is a man who's able to have great people around him without becoming jealous. Correct. Yes, sir. Yes. It's like, all right. Um, I thank God he has given us young people now that can do all this stuff that, right. you know, like. It's okay not to be the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> that's exactly right. Matter of fact, now we have teams, teams that take care of, Guest follow-up, teams that take care of children's ministry, teams that take care of youth ministry, teams that take care, you know, 
Unfortunately, in some ways, I get all the credit. But the truth, <laughs> is, the truth is, God has really blessed us with some people that have come out of the world, and they, they, they have skills and abilities that God can use. So let's see the last, I would say, invest in people. Yes, sir. You're not wasting time. If you have a cup of coffee with somebody, you're not wasting time. I don't care. Like we had this one guy come to church one time. He was drunk as a skunk and he come barging through the back door and we were singing. Of course, you got to understand I'm old and we sang the old songs. Right? <laughs> That's also an adjustment, you know, for me. But you know what? I've learned to love not all of the new songs. I'm not into the oohs and the ahs. But, <laughs> but, but there are some lyrics of some of the new songs that are very moving and mm. very touching. And, uh, but with that night, we were singing the old rugged cross. And this guy walked, come out of the bar, which was next door to where we met, and burst through those doors, came to the altar, fell on his knees, and grabbed his T-shirt that he was wearing and ripped it open. Then he said at the top of his lungs, Jesus, come in here. Hmm. And uh, I just thought, you know, I realized there's a, you got to love people. That guy was, you know, what that man, he, I don't know what happened to Clarence. I don't know what happened to Hmm. him, but I know he was a hit man. He killed people for a living. For a living. And yet when he would come back, he would feel so guilty and he would weep. Pastor, I'm so sorry. Help me. Help me. You know, uh, you have to love even the unlovable. Yes, sir. You know, we set limits on our love. We set limits like I'll love you for what you can give me or I'll love you if you're like me. I'll love Mm -hmm. you if, you know. But God so loved the world. Yes, sir. World and learning to love. Like sometimes people say they love, and I feel like it's a pretense. You know, like, yeah, they don't mean that. That they say it, but they don't know what that means. I'm gonna. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just telling you, you're gonna have to love. I remember one night these bunch down in Lexington Park, we were starting that church and uh, our little family, we built like a, a little apartment in the back of the church so we could live there. So we'd ha- have money to do the work. And that night, these drunks come pounding on the door and you could smell the alcohol through the door. <laughs> of course, I was concerned for my family, but I told my wife and we called some of the men and said, come we don't know what is going on but this could be dangerous once you come but i told my wife now you stay here with the kids i'm gonna go out there and talk to them she was like no no I said, <laughs> but i went out there and i talked with them i baptized all three of those men that night <laughs> you gotta love them i don't love them. they may be angry they may have been they have experienced stuff the devil has beat them up. Um, it may, it may, it could cost you your life. Mm-hmm. It did Jesus. But loving is, I think, I hear sometimes 
for example, I want to say this, learn how to preach to sinners. Yes, sir. We're so good at wowing each other sometimes, but we don't, we don't know how to preach to sinners. Right. Remember, remember, like, think, ask God to help you to think. What was it like to be lost without God? What was mm-hmm. it like to be an addict or have your family be so broken you never had any love? What is that soul feeling? Ask God to help you. I forget which one of those, Wesley or Spurgeon or somebody, they said, if you got to preach hell, preach it with a tear in your eye. Yeah. You know, it's true. People are going to go to hell, but I pray that we have wept over them before they ever get there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, all right. So the Amen. last I would say, yeah. value, value those moments where, yes, where God's presence is on you. Value them. Like, you know, yesterday I had a time of prayer. I, and we have an office, church office building. And I went there to pray and I'm praying. And Jesus came in that room mm. and he touched me and I just wept. And I told him, God, I don't understand. I don't know how, what it's all going to turn out to be. But what this is all about is somehow being in your presence and trusting you in the midst of it. Yes, sir. Just press, value those moments. Uh, it's certainly an un, I, I, I got, it's a challenging season. Yes, sir. How are we going to win souls? We can't even touch them. Right. You know, you right. got you to learn how to pray for them without laying hands on them. You got to learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to have to be another level of faith. And, and that I, I'd like to kind of skip through some of these things and, and get to that uh, uh, portion where I'd like to, you to, Kind of speak to that, um, being adjusted with sheltering in and kind of adjusting to this whole COVID-19 crisis and doing ministry throughout this, like, uh, yeah. what has been a good benefit of it? <laughs> well, the personal benefit of it is I probably have prayed more than I ever prayed. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm, That's right. I'm ashamed to say that, but it's true and fasting mm-hmm. and the sensitivity to God that had been missing. Uh, now, yes, in a moment, like here talking with you, it's just on the verge of just being broken. Before, yes, and this time has allowed that where I needed that, but, yes, but it doesn't happen in the busyness of life when we were so busy, busy, um, and dreaming and right. You know, nothing, nothing, but I needed. So I say, how has this helped? You know, for our group, I mean, I, we have been able to maintain our group. Amen. We do that with, uh, zoom. Yes, sir. We do, Small groups. I go on to small groups, which I used to couldn't be able to go to everyone, but now on Zoom. Now <laughs> you Zoom right in there. That's right. So in in watching them, uh, you know, uh, watching them dedicate themselves more, and 
what I can tell you this, if you weren't real before, if you weren't really real before, when you come out of this, oh yeah, you will be real one way or the other. One way or the other. Yeah. Real spiritual or real carnal. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's the truth. Yeah. So I think for us, it has been, uh, you know, with all the ways they've had to do things, you know, like Mother's Day. Yeah. Oh, so much. They did a virtual tea party. Lord, how do you do that? <laughs> Hey, that's creativity right there. And then they did like, they did a thing for my wife where they all drove by the house, you know, and they were so kind. And drive by parade. Yes, yes, yes. And and then the prayer meetings. We have prayer meetings on Zoom. Yes, sir. And to have, you know, 120 people show up to a prayer meeting on zoom mm-hmm. is a pretty powerful thing. You know, I mean, all right, we're not losing. Have we lost anybody? I don't, you know, there's some, I worry about them because I don't see them connecting, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's dangerous. It's scary. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. Dangerous. It is. Well, that's uh, an incredible, that's an incredible adjustment to make. And, for a lot of people, that, that's difficult. That's difficult to even accept that you have to do it that way. Well, and and I, I know, you know, even myself, and the, I, I've got some friends that they're still fighting against. <laughs> Just yeah. Yeah. You know, and I get it. I get it, you know. And uh, Well, yesterday you know, we were talking with our leaders about planning to open up and we're probably our group they're talking maybe in even august but i told him i said look well it's not just the virus it's the fear mm-hmm. when we open up who will be able to overcome their fears and how right. will we need to do to make people people feel confident that mm-hmm. they can come yeah and you talked in terms of evangelism like how do you how do you invite someone with this traumatic thing in the back of their mind of what yeah. we just been through. And then some of the ways media is painting the picture of people that insist on getting together in those large groups. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, I think, I think you are so right that God has stopped us um, and allowed us to kind of get back to, being very sensitive to his voice is, I mean, I haven't been around that long, but I do feel like that uh, it's almost like God is getting us to the place of that's how we're going to have to evangelize by hearing his voice and, and responding to it. You know, we've had people like we had some people die at, in our case, we had a guy not not really connected to the church. A Catholic family, they called me, and the father was up in the Georgetown Hospital with cancer, and the doctor said he wasn't going to live. And they gave that family, they let that family choose one member of the family that could go in and say goodbye to the father. And so they asked me, would I come and pray with that family? So I met with them 
outside in the front of Georgetown Hospital and the two daughters and the mother. I held their hands. I wept with them. I can't imagine. How do you choose which one? Mom said, well, I, don't, I didn't, she didn't want to go. So the oldest daughter was going to go in and how, you know, the, all that, but what a time. Oh. Well, so afterwards, you know, and dad passed and they called me and asked me what I do. You know, they, they had him cremated. So they're going to do a funeral service at a later date. Yeah. Do that service. And I think I can win that family. Through Amen. this, you know, but, but boy, tough things, tough yeah. things. And uh, what, what, what kind of has me, I, I, I try not to think about it too much, but trying to wrap my mind around the concept of those that have lost loved ones and friends and how do you, how do you proceed with you know, final arrangements and how do you proceed with funeral? How do you proceed? What do you do with the body? Like what, like those are some things. It's like, wow. We had, we had, we have a guy, he's on our pastoral team who is a a policeman here in the area. And he, he called me one day, said, pastor, I'm over here at the hospital and I'm talking with the guy who's in charge of the morgue. And he said, they're not letting them bury these bodies. So they got just, they got them stacked up in here. He said, this man is broken. I said, well, you, Dan, you need to take him aside and you need to pray with him. And you need to let God talk to you about the words you use to help this man. He's going through a trauma, seeing yeah. all these people die and the families. Oh my Lord. I, it just, yeah, it's, it's a different time. Pastor, I, but in the midst of it, I do think if we will follow that voice of God. Yes, sir. It will be, I, I, look, I hear some of these guys. I can't even listen. There's some of them are preachers. I can't listen to them because <laughs> they're so negative to the bone. It's like, you know, even it, they may not even say they're negative. If you listen to their voice, you can hear it. Like, Oh, it's doomsday and we're all going to die and go to hell. Or even if we're saved, they're like sad about being saved or something. <laughs> I can't handle that. <laughs> it bleeds through. I believe that there is going to be a harvest, Pastor. Yeah. I, through this, I think my wife and I, we went down to Jason's last Sunday. It was a live, you know, stream thing. But yes, sir. there was about 12 people there. Well, we hadn't been in, in what, two months? It just, you know, everything over the internet. So when we got there and they began to worship, my wife and I, we just broke. Oh, to be in his presence again. Oh, we didn't know how much we really missed church. Yeah. Being assembled together with God's people. I can only, I can only imagine that when God allows and the doors open and the people begin to come, the mm-hmm. hunger that we haven't, that's, I think that's another thing that's happening. It's creating a hunger 
in the hearts of God's people. Now, I don't know about the world. Mm-hmm. I think I think they're hungry, but they don't know what they're hungry for. Mm-hmm. But for God's people, I think they're going to be amazed that when they come into his presence, how hungry their soul is, how much they have missed being in that atmosphere. Yeah. Yes, sir. Pastor, I think I went more than your 40 minutes. It's all, <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. This has been so good. This has been so, so good. And I, I really appreciate your time. Don't I really let, do. Don't let anything make you negative. I'm just telling you right now, when I see it, sometimes I hate Facebook. You know? <laughs> you know? Because I hear people that I, I love them, but it's like, it's in their spirit that they're just negative. Don't get negative. Oh my word. God is good in spite of where we're at. Mm -hmm. In spite of it. Yes. In spite of it. I think, uh, no, well, I was going to say, you know, in, in recent church history, look how the last five, uh, maybe even 10 years, I would say the majority of church problems and problems in between individuals and, and you know, strife, bickering or anything like that, you know, has been sourced from social media. Yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> and, then, and then now, this is the only way we socialize. Yeah. <laughs> well. I'm like, man, if people ain't prayed up, Oh, it's about to get real. <laughs> I, have, I have a question for you. You know Jason Stone? I know of him. I've never met him. Yeah. And I, I can edit this so you can say whatever you need to say. Okay. And, well, I just say uh, I know that Jason Stone went another way. And I know he part of it was he got to hanging around some people who had a different spirit mm-hmm. and influencing. It wasn't people here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I don't know who they are, so I. But I do know what happened. But Jason, I love Jason. I still love Jason. I haven't talked to him since he left. Mm-hmm. But I love Jason, and um, I just thought maybe, you know, I've still got his phone number. Sometimes when I'm praying and I go through my list of people, I come to Jason and Kristen Stone. And uh, I just, I weep over them. I yes. You know, it's, isn't it funny? How could we ever not love a brother? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. wow. You know how hard we fight to win a soul? Yeah. <laughs> One soul. One. And, and then for somebody to come along and not love them is really hard for me to comprehend. Uh. You could never have fought too hard to win a soul and feel that way. Yes, sir. You couldn't have. If you have fought all the hell to win a soul, you're going to love that soul. Love them. Yeah. And are they perfect? No. Are, are they sinners? Yeah. But Jesus died for them anyway. Yeah. And it's not that I still believe that we have a, a level that God wants us to live to, a standard of excellence that he wants me to uphold, to be a light to the world. Yes, sir. 
But you know, I I don't think we can ever stop loving. Mm-hmm. And, yes, sir. And I think to get on social media and some of the stuff I hear people say, I, <laughs> you know, I just have to shut yeah. it off. Love of man, your wife's cold. Yeah, yeah. Well, your work, your work is doing well. We're doing okay, and you know it's it's been it's been a challenge the whole time. And uh, hold on, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say uh, uh, kind of like a dismissal. Thank you, and then I'm gonna stop recording. We can talk if you have time. Yeah, I do. I do. Thank you, brother Staten, for bearing your heart and sharing with us, you know, some of these insights and concepts of your spiritual journey and what has led you to 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 loving the people and impacting the souls that God has trusted to you in your ministry. I really appreciate your time. And for those of you that are listening to this, please uh, take this link, share it with two people, go back and listen to it with a notepad and jot down some things that jumps out at you that you can glean from uh, the life of a man of God, such as Brother Staten. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for listening and tuning in today. Help me to get the word out about this content. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Pastor Rima. And why don't you go ahead and follow, subscribe these podcasts so that you can be notified when we upload fresh content. God bless you and keep it real.